0: Thanks for joining us if you're online at our different sites at West Tonka, Bush Lake, wherever we're gathered together. I just want to say I love you so much. I've been gone for a week, and distance makes the heart grow fonder. I've missed you. It's great to be together with you. Um, before I launch into my message, I, just, I didn't plan to share this this morning, but I had a couple experiences this morning. I, I'm going to throw this in. Throw this into the hopper for you. It actually started last Thursday when I was uh, with Carrie, and we were looking out at our, our deck and at our bird feeder. We had two dozen robins showed up. And we're drinking, and it was just like glorious. It was like spring is around the corner. I was so lifted up. And then this morning, remember I had Christmas Eve in my sermon, I, I talked about the fact that I'd gotten into this practice of doing cold plunges, which some of you think I'm a crazy guy, but it's, it's working for me. And this morning, I'm having my cold plunge outside on my patio, and it's dark. It's about 6 in the morning, and I'm calm, and I'm taking it in, and I hear these footsteps, and I go, oh, oh. And I, <laughs> and I look to my side, and there's a deer walking right right by me. And I go, I'm becoming Saint Francis. I said, I say, good morning. And so we have a little conversation. He uh, saunders right by and I go, amazing. And then this morning I also heard I just was taken back by this. Have you been paying attention to what's happening at Osbury, Univer- Osbury University? That there's a revival that's broken out the last 10 days with students. We have one of our own kids there right now experiencing this. I think it's the real deal. I really do. I heard this morning that the lines yesterday were two football fields long, four people deep, going all the way around the bend, people wanting to come in. And it really stood out to me. I'm grateful for the revival. But what strikes me is that people are showing up who are not students who want to know what it's about. They want to know that God is God, that Jesus is the Son of God, that there is goodness flowing from the hand of God, and they're showing up to see it and to experience it. And I think that's the same for all of us. Let me give you a frame of reference as I jump into Nehemiah here, because God wants to do a good work, a great work, in you, for you, and through you. And would you like him to do a good work in you, for you, and through you? Certainly you do. We want to experience the power and the presence of God in our time, in our place, in our lives. We don't want to just read it from the scriptures. We're grateful for the scriptures. We want it to be true for us as well. So, what is the great work that God is calling you into? What does he want to do through you? Does he want you to be restoring something? Like perhaps there's a restoration that needs to happen in a relationship, maybe with God himself because you've been wayward or drifting or just lost, or maybe a relationship with a spouse or a friend or a colleague. Maybe it's a restoration of finances or health. Or is God perhaps wanting you to seize a new opportunity? And that's the great work he wants to do in you. A career opportunity, an educational opportunity, or maybe a retirement opportunity. I'm, I'm in that age. So I've got a number of friends, half a dozen conversations I've had recently with friends who are retiring. And I go, you don't want to retire. The Bible doesn't say anything about retire. You want to refire, because you want to experience the work of God in your life. What is the work that he has for you? And wherever that might be, restoring or seizing new opportunities, it takes discernment to know where to go. We opened up the pages of Nehemiah um, 39 days ago. And we found Nehemiah at that time living in Persia, had a great job working for the king Artaxerxes. And while he's there working with him, he gets the 911 call from his brother who's traveled 1,000 miles from Jerusalem to say, can you help? Because the walls are busted. The city is in ruins. The people are broken and devastated. And this is the biggest. The reputation of God is trashed. And there's all kinds of people trying to trash the reputation of God. Then and in our day. And Nehemiah is just completely grieved. And he breaks down and he goes to prayer. Four months of prayer, in fact. And in that time, he emerges and he says, yes, I'll help. He gets permission from the king. He makes his way 1,000 miles to Jerusalem, and he comes there, and uh, it's an amazing thing to see what happens because he said, uh, let's build, let's, let's rebuild. In fact, those 52 days are really something else to behold because um, the 52 days that it took happened after he arrived. I, I, 39 days ago, we started 52 days that he's been in Jerusalem, and on that 52nd day, as we turn the page to Nehemiah 6, the wall gets rebuilt. In 52 days, after 90-plus years, two different failed attempts, in 52 days, it happens on this day in chapter 6 that we're going to look at, and you're going to think, man, uncork the champagne, and let's celebrate. But, but not now. That's going to happen later because he has more resistance. So we saw in chapter four, conflict and resistance. Chapter five, conflict and resistance. Chapter six, conflict and resistance. Why does God have so much about conflict and resistance? Three chapters of Nehemiah because he knows that we are conflict avoiders. And he's saying to us stop it, <laughs> become conflict managers. Honor God in the midst of conflict because conflict is good. Say that with me. Conflict is good. That was not impressive. You don't believe me. Conflict is good. Say that way. There's nothing good about conflict itself, but what you do with it really matters. And it opens up doors of opportunity. And that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in a place where he needs discernment. And discernment is a gift that he gives to all of those concerning what he wants us to do and where he wants us to go. So over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at the character qualities of this great leader, Nehemiah, and how he lived his life. And we've looked at six character qualities, and today we're going to look at a seventh character quality, and that quality is discernment. And discernment is something that we all need. I want to define it this way, the ability to see and understand what is true or false, what is right or wrong. Um, What is good, what is bad, or what is even evil? That we need discernment to do the good work of God in our lives. Nehemiah needed it. And if you're doing a good work of God, you need discernment in your life as well. And that discernment comes from him. In fact, can I just say discernment is not an option for the Christ follower. It is an expectation for the Christ follower that we would grow in discernment. Romans 12 um, just says it so beautifully, pronounces it so clearly that we are not to be conformed to the ways of this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that is in Christ Jesus that you might test and discern what is God's good perfect will for your life. Anybody want to know God's good, perfect will for your life? Just raise your hand for a moment. Can I see your hands? You are wise people, and you are discerning. We need that to take place. So what I'd like to do today is I talk, I'd like to talk about discernment. And discernment includes, in Nehemiah's journey, something that applies to us. It's an incredible ability that God gives to us. It's the ability to focus. It's the ability to combat fear, Some of you are in that place. And it's the ability to move into a place where you can pursue good. That's where we're going. You want to go there with me? Let's jump into it. Discernment, first of all, is this ability to focus. And the Lord knows we need help when it comes to focus because we are distracted people easily. You know what the attention span in America is right now? Anybody? Yeah, eight seconds. Eight seconds. We struggle to think deeply about most anything. We are pulled by this voice and that voice. Sociologists have given a name to it, and, and, and a lot of it, quite honestly, has happened during the digital age. It, it's this little thing. Oh, I didn't bring it with me. My phone. I was going to throw my phone up here and say, that thing is one of our greatest challenges. It pulls us away, but they, they call it um, attention residue. That we have so much residue, so many things calling for our attention, we have a hard time staying focused. And that's a real reality for all of us. So I'm going to give you three phrases that I think as I studied the passage this week and last week I said, um, I think this is what Nehemiah is saying. And I put it in my own words, three statements. I'm going to read the statements. I'm going to have you join me with each of the statements. And the first one is this. And that is, I am going to focus on God's work. Say that. I am going to focus on God's work. It has to be deliberative and declarative because there's so many voices pulling for your attention. When it comes to the great work of God that he wants to do with you, you will be distracted and it requires that we will focus on God's work. For Nehemiah, it's to rebuild the wall, and it's work. For you, it might be restoring a relationship, and it's work. For you, it might be seizing a new opportunity, and it's work. And you need to discern the voices that allow you to focus on that which God has called you to be about. So we need discernment to stay focused because so many voices pull us away. So we pick up Nehemiah 6 with these words. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. It's such a friendly invitation. Let's go to the resort of Ono. But if you've been paying attention through this series so far, we know that Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are the enemies of God and the enemies of Nehemiah. They have distracted him. They've been in his face. They have cursed him. They have ridiculed him. They've ridiculed God. That has been their pattern from beginning to end. And here they come with this seemingly friendly invitation. Come. Come on over to this resort. And we'll spend some time together. Let's have a conversation. And you wonder... Because they're on the five-yard line, they can see it's going to happen, so maybe we need to reconcile our differences in order for things to smooth out. Or maybe they're thinking he could use a little R&R in life of everything he's gone through, so come on over. But Nehemiah is so discerning. He doesn't buy into any of it. In fact, he has two responses. The, the first response is, I know what you're up to, and the second is, I'm not coming. First of all, he says, "I'm really, I know what you're up to, but they were scheming to harm me. And and so he can smell what's taking place here, that he has this discernment. And I I think all of us, when we're trying to lead or be part of God's work, here's a reality, and it's hard to believe this, but it's true. There are safe people and unsafe people. There are people who are gonna come alongside of you to make it happen, and people who are not. There's a thing called the International Bucket Parade who love to throw cold water in every good idea and initiative that (laughs) takes place. And I pray you're not part of that parade, but Sanballat, Tobiah, and they are. We don't know exactly why it is that he had that discernment, but I think the phrase that we often use today, that present behavior is a predictor to future behavior, probably comes into play. He hadn't seen anything change in their behavior, and they have come and done something with this friendly invitation, but you've had that. When people come with a friendly face, and they meet you with a friendly face, but you've heard everything they've said about you behind your back, That's what Nehemiah is dealing with. He knows what their intent is. And it's to harm them. So he says, I'm not going. And he picks up the story that way. He says, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. Can I just pause there? Sometimes I think the nuggets of gold in God's word, we miss because we just, oh, okay. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. That tells me he didn't go meet with his enemies. And sometimes when you're with unsafe people, you're wise to not go, to not say anything, to not do anything. So he sends a messenger. He sends a text. He sends an email. Sorry, not showing up. And I think it's an important principle when dealing with safe and unsafe people. Just because somebody asks you to meet with them does not mean you need to meet with them. You have to be discerning as to, is that where you're going to give your best energy? And he continues, I'm I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Why would I come to you? I've got this great work. This is a great work of God that he's doing through me. And it requires God's presence, God's provision. It requires God's people, their gifts, their talents. It requires me and my leadership and my call to take us from beginning to end. And this is what's required. He's focused on where his energy needs to go. And he gives it there. And he needs to because look at them. Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. These guys are persistent. They're saying, come, come, come on. Come on to the resort. And he says, no, 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 no. He was like a two-year-old wanting ice cream. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, let me have some ice cream. No, 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 the parent says along the way, because it's not in your best interest. He knew it was not in his best interest, so he doesn't go. He says no. And in that process, there's something to be said here that I think is really noteworthy, and that is specifically related to those who come against you and how they do. If you read all of chapter six, you will see something happens in here that I think is really important. They push four times, and increasingly with each time, if you read the whole chapter, you will see that they are making it more public concerning what they're seeking to do versus Nehemiah. When it comes to unsafe people, I want to share something with you that I think is important to pay attention to. That is, when someone decides to go public with a private matter, you have an unsafe person. So when you have someone who doesn't come through the front door and deal with you, and they build a guiding coalition with others, having never even come to you directly, you are in violation of God's directive. Jesus says this in Matthew 18. You have to read all of Matthew 18. He has a number of great principles on conflict management. But the number one principle, it starts, go through the front door. So let me ask you a question. When it comes to managing conflict with people in your life, are you front door, side door, or back door? Do you go through the front door with the individual? Do you go to the side door and call mom, dad, cousins, you know, a group of people? Um, Or do you go through the, the, the back door and just trash everything along the way? So you find in this person, these people, they're unsafe. They're deemed unsafe in the eyes of Nehemiah because they have built a guiding coalition with others that really aren't interested in the best interest of the people of God or the purposes of God or the great work God is doing. So discernment gives you the ability to focus from what is true or false, good or bad, right or wrong. And I wanna say in all of life, but especially when it comes to doing the work of God, There are distractions because there are forces who want you to give energy and attention to them and sometimes away from the purposes of God. So I did a little reflection in my own life and say, I'm part of several, I think significant works of God and it's a privilege, but it requires focus and it requires discernment. And the number one thing that I'm responsible for that is a work of God in and through me, I don't always understand why he's postured me this way and that is to preach the very word of God. And I love to preach the word of God, but the reality is I have distractions that are pulling me away all the time, but I wanna be in the word because I know what he does. His word is alive, don't you believe that? It changes us. We need to be in it. I encourage you to be in it. I don't take shortcuts when it comes to preaching the word of God. If it means I'm up all night going down on my knees saying, God, help me, help me, help me, and I've had times like that. Uh, He does because this is his name. And I know there are forces that don't want us to pay attention to the relevance of who God is and the person of Jesus Christ in our lives. So I have practices that help me focus. I discern that I need to put these things in place. I have phone rest, so my phone gets put aside. When I'm working on a message, because I could see what was happening, this wasn't 10 years ago, it's only in recent times, because phones have created these cell opportunities to engage with every ding and dong and bing and bong that comes your way probably shouldn't say bing and bong. That goes the wrong direction, doesn't it? <laughs> Stop there right now. But you know what I'm saying. You feel like you have to look at it all the time. Or it's ringing and you're with somebody else and you have to pick it up. I go, we've just lost our sense of respect of even being with each other. When I'm with God preparing his message, I have to have phone rest. So I shut it off for two hour blocks, two and a half hour blocks, so I can be in the deep end. Because I know if I get pulled to the shallow end, it's hard to go back to the deep end. And it requires depth and thought and prayer to prepare a message. And then I have Sabbath rest, not just phone rest. Because God said work six and rest one. How are you doing with that rhythm in your life? If you're not bringing soul rest into your life, you will not be part of fulfilling the great work of God that he intends for your life. We need soul rest so we can hear the voice of God, so we can be aligned with his great purposes for success in our lives. And then... I take schedule rest. I have an assistant that helps and Carrie that helps. And I myself, I just have blocks of time that are intended for prep. Those are three things I do in my particular arena of the work that God has for me. So, what are you doing? You have your own intentional things you put in place and you need to because it's difficult for us to think deeply. We get pulled out quickly by this and that but we got a great work to do. And God wants to do that work in you and for you and through you and it takes this kind of great, great focus. So discernment gives you the ability to focus and say I am going to focus on God's work. Secondly, discernment gives you not just the ability to focus but the ability to combat fear. Too much fear. Where does fear come from? Fear comes from voices in our head. Stress and anxiety. Um, I don't say that with indictment. I say with my own personal battles. But I know I have more monkeys in my head than belong there naturally. Fear comes from outside, people who say things and do things. And they create a spirit of fear. Fear comes from tragedy that hits us in life and we become unnerved. There's all kinds of reasons why we have fear. And fear has this thing. It paralyzes us from being about God's work. But discernment gives us the ability to combat fear. And I think what Nehemiah is dealing with is this statement, and it's an important one as we embrace the reality of what fear does. I am not going to let fear settle in my heart. Would you say that with me? I am not going to let fear settle in my heart. I just feel like we need to say that one one more time again. Just because of the conversations with people after the last service. There's a lot of fear. Say it with me. I am not going to let fear settle in my heart. And Nehemiah, he battles that. Fear has a great acronym, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. And we have a call that is to take us from that fear place. In fact, I want to read to you The tactics of fear, they're amazing that come against Nehemiah. And how he holds steady in it is extraordinary. This is beginning at verse five. Then the fifth time, four times they came to him, the fifth time, Sanballat sent an aide to me with a message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations. Wow. Uh, They're talking about you, in other words. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building a wall. Fear seeps in when there are rumors and people start to say things that can be completely untrue, but because you said it, I'm believing it and I'm following it and that's what's happening here that you and the Jews are going to start a revolution against the Persian Empire, and that's what you're seeking to do. It was not true at all, and he continues, moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have been appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem, that there is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, King Artaxerxes, so come, let us meet together and have a conversation. There's the friendly invite again. And I read this and I think, man, false labeling. We're living in a day right now, friends, where people label people. And then we cancel people, left and right. What are we doing? This is not right. And this is exactly what was happening here. That because this person said it, it must be true so they follow and he's saying, you want to be king. And you can imagine how this breaks his heart because if you were with us in the early part, he spends all this time trying to honor the king, to bless the king. I'm, I'm wanting you to go help, but only with your blessing. And he gets that blessing to make his way. He has no intention to be king. And also, he wants to be in a place where his heart is right, but now he's hurt out of the reality. He sacrificed a lot, a great job, a comfortable life to track 1,000 miles away to be about building this new initiative that was taking place um, around the city of Jerusalem. He steps into that. He sacrificed personally. And how does he respond? (laughs) I love this guy. He's so calm. He's so non-defensive. He says, what you say, it's not true. You're making it up in order to frighten us. It's like just so calm, doesn't get, defense. it's like Jesus. Jesus goes down the Via Della Rosa, they're spitting on him, cursing him, and he doesn't come to his own defense. That's what Nehemiah is doing right here. This amazing thing. I wanna say something about, about fear that I think is important. Just receive this, would you, because you have to think about it with me. Your enemy or enemies cannot make you afraid. But their goal is to try to make you choose fear. So the issue of our fear has more to do with us than it is to what's happening to us. Because the promise of God's power tells us your enemies cannot make you afraid but they're trying to get you to choose to be afraid. But we are the people of God. And we are told in Timothy these great words um, that we are not marked by fear or uh, timidity, but by power by love, by self-discipline. It's the self-discipline to say no, to choose no to that fear because God does not want me to live in fear. I did not give you the spirit of fear or timidity but the, the spirit of power, the power of God, the love of God, the tender love of God. And the work of self-discipline, the choice to move into that place so that power is seen in and through us. It's just such a beautiful reminder of how God is at work that Nehemiah is in this place, non-defensive, and he, he doesn't go to his enemies. He doesn't become defensive. You know what he does? We see it in the next verse here. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. So is he feeling the pressure? Absolutely he is. Is he feeling the intimidation? Oh, sure, he is. So he doesn't meet with his enemies. He meets with God. So when we feel fear, meet with God. Now strengthen my hands. And God does indeed strengthen his hands. And what a gift it is for him to do that. See, discernment gives us the ability to say, I am not going to let fear settle in my heart. Would you say that with me? I am not going to let fear settle in my heart. Oh, discernment is such a powerful gift in our lives. It gives us this incredible ability to focus, to combat fear, and there's one more thing. Discernment gives us the ability to pursue good. And the essence of God is good, always good. So the good that God wants to do in you and for you and through you is always for good. And so we avail our lives for the Lord to do his work. Lord, I want you to do a great and mighty work in and through me, in and through our church, because that's what you want to do. You want to make your good name known. And we get to be part of that expression of God's good name. And so I think discernment is that incredible ability to give us focus and to say, I think that's what Nehemiah would say, these words, I am going to pursue the good God calls me to do. Say it with me. I'm going to pursue the good God calls me to do. So God has called each of us to his good work. What is that? Even in the little things in the course of this day, be attentive to what they are. And follow his prompting and his lead in that given place. And when we do, we will see the good of God. Some people I know keep blessing journals. That God met me today in this way or that way. And you write down so you could see at the end of the day. Look at all the good things that happened. Because if we live in the fear of defensiveness, we will not feast on the goodness of his blessings. So let us feast on the goodness of his blessings. And look at the good result that happens. It's just amazing what takes place. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. After 90 years, two failed attempts, it gets done in 52 days. It's extraordinary. And now everybody's talking in a different way, including the enemies, and this is what they say. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this... Work had been done with the help of our God. That is, they knew after 90 years, the only way this thing got done was because of God. But you know that God ordained people to be the means to accomplish his holy and good purposes. So we're included in what he wants to do for his name. It's his power at work through you. And they see it and they melt. They lose confidence. Their self-confidence sinks. And what is our key word for 2023, everybody? Confidence, it's confidence, based on Hebrews four sixteen. Therefore, I shall approach God's throne of grace with confidence that I might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so these overly arrogant, confident people who were enemies have now become weak and lowly and mindful that this is a powerful God. And what is he gonna do now with me? Well, you have to come for the weeks ahead to find out what he's gonna do. But he does some great things. So all that to say is 52 days, it gets done. Can I just say this? God works through people. He worked through Nehemiah to do something that had not been done yet in his character. So we've been looking at his character qualities. They're so important. Your character matters so much in your relationships, in your business dealings, all of it. It matters. And so we've talked about the big door of leadership, of your life swings on the small hinge of character. So we've been looking at character. Can I just give you a quick review? of where we've been, that Nehemiah had the character quality of praying. He just got on his knees for four months before he took any course of action. Then he planned, and that planning would align with God's great purposes of success for him. Then he motivated, and he put himself in a place to say, let's be better together, and be in it together so we can be better together. And then he organized because organization is critically important to moving forward with God's good work in your life. And then he managed conflict in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Be front door conflict managers. And then he discerned what is true or false, right or wrong, good or bad. Today we wrap up the middle of Nehemiah We've called it Nehemiah Character Builds, but the big door of leadership is about to swing to a new chapter. I'm so excited. It's going to be Love Builds, Nehemiah Love Builds, beginning next Sunday. And I want to invite you back because we are praying that the work of God would be revealed to you personally, collectively, for us as a church, that the the revivals that are breaking out in our country, mostly on our university campuses, would happen in our own backyard happen in your families, and we're going to see through Nehemiah the fruit of his faithfulness, and we're going to do a lot of celebrating and praising, but I am going to be inviting you to help us accelerate at the midpoint our here near far vision, and I'm excited to do that. You want to come next week to pick it up. So discernment is a gift that God gives a great quality that helps you have the ability to focus, to combat fear, to pursue good. And it gives us the ability to say, along with Nehemiah, these words. And why don't you join me since you know them all. Join me. I am going to focus on God's work. And secondly, I am not going to let fear settle in my heart. Pause there because I just feel we need to say that one again. I am not going to let fear settle in my heart. And third, I am going to pursue the good God calls me to do because he is good. So join your hearts together with me. Father, thank you for goodness. The God who is good, you have revealed to us the goodness of your love in Jesus Christ. A love that builds us up in a way that your name gets exalted and we accelerate your purposes in our lives personally and collectively and we want to be available for your great work to be in us and for us and through us. Teach us what that looks like, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.